You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. For the last over a month, I don't know how many weeks it's been, I've been in the book of 1 Corinthians on the radio. And on the radio, just go verse by verse through different books of the Bible. And I think I've gotten more feedback lately from 1 Corinthians than I have any other book study. And uh, I've enjoyed it. I've really never studied through it the way I've been studying through it, but God's kind of kept me in it. And uh, I'm going to preach from it tonight and maybe, uh, maybe just do that the rest of these Sundays in this month when I preach. But I, I think it's more of this. It's more of, of, of a building a Christian kind of a message than it is any kind of like a revival kind of message. Or, uh, but that's kind of what I want to preach, something that will build us. I, I'm concerned with things going on out there, but I want God to strengthen some things tonight in here and in here. And I'm praying God will use this. And uh, you know the chapter, you know the theme of it. But look back with me in chapter number 12, and we'll get right into it. I don't want to keep you long. Uh, verse number 27, look what it says. Chapter number 12, just for context, is dealing with spiritual gifts, really interim gifts mainly, in the early church. And you've got to understand that certain gifts accompanied the early church that have ceased since the completion of the New Testament or the Bible has been completed. There were signs and miracles speaking in foreign languages that you'd never learned before, all of a sudden just able to speak it. Those kind of things have ceased. It's not even a debate. It's just done. When God finished the canon of Scripture, all of that that the charismatic movements wrapped up in ceased. In fact, even while they were ongoing, Paul kind of preached against it and said, you're trying to twist things here and putting the emphasis on things that ought to be secondary instead of primary, and we'll see that tonight. But I want you to notice as he's dealing with spiritual gifts here in verse number 27, it says this, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. Now we understand apostles and prophets are, apostles and prophets are no more. Uh, an apostle had to be an eyewitness to the resurrected Lord, and nobody's seen the resurrected Lord. Since the apostle Paul there on the road to Damascus, that's done. No more apostles, no more prophets. Thirdly, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Now that never means a language that nobody's ever heard before. It means a language that you normally don't speak. It's like if I were to stand up here and suddenly speak to you in Spanish. I don't know Spanish, but if I were just going to suddenly speak it, that would be a miraculous thing, but that has since ceased. All right, now look with me in the Bible. All, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. So in this chapter, Paul's been addressing these gifts that the most carnal crowd that he preached to clamored after. Have <laughs> yeah. you ever noticed the most carnal people emphasize these things that make them appear spiritual, and it's all for self-advancement and attention, and not edification? Everybody, all right, we're going to go ahead and have church just for a little while tonight, and it's going to be, we're going to talk about love, so just buckle up, it'll be okay. <laughs> not going to preach against the church of God brethren down the road or anything. But he gets into chapter 13 and said, hey, listen, there's something more important than what you're fighting over. 
there's something that is bigger than what you're clamoring after. There is something that would make you more effective and profitable than what you wish you had. Not everybody's going to be an apostle, not everybody's going to be miracle workers, not everybody's going to speak in an unknown tongue. He said, but everybody can do this, and this is the most important thing. And then you get in chapter 13, and let's read the chapter. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, that's hyperbole, saying, if I could speak all these foreign languages, or if I could speak with the authority of an angel from heaven, and have not charity, and there's the word, charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. I underline those three words, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, watch this, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Now, Paul wrote Corinthians, one of the earliest letters he ever penned, so before the completion of the New Testament. But when that which is perfect has come, the completion of your Bible, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I also am known." And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. I want you to notice the phrase at the end of verse number 2 and then again at verse, end of verse number 3. Paul is emphasizing the need for charity. And you know what charity is. Charity is that agape love. That is selfless love. Not eros, not phileo, but agape love. It's love totally poured out for the benefit of somebody other than yourself. And Paul said, if I had all these different gifts, if I was the greatest preacher, the most fantastic singer, the biggest giver, if I had faith that can move a mountain, but I do not start from the premise of loving you, it's like I'm a zero. I'm empty. It is wasteful, worthless. I'm nothing. I just preached this last week, and I mentioned it this morning on Friday, a young man, I think he's five or six years old, was talking to me in the hallway before I went into the restroom, and he said, why does God love us even when we do things that are bad? And I mentioned that to you this morning. And I said, well, God loves you. Uh, Jesus loved you enough to die for you, and God loves his son. His son loves you. God loves you. And I said, that's why Jesus died for you. And he said something else I didn't mention this morning. He said, I guess that's why you came here from California, because you love us. That's convicting. Because I had to really stop and think about that. Is that true or not? How much of what I do or what you do is motivated from the starting point? For a little while this evening, I want to preach, and we'll just go through the chapter, but I want to preach on this thought, the starting point of profitable Christianity. I don't mean adding value to your life as far as what God values. I'm talking about being profitable to those around you and profitable to our generation. In business, they look at profitability. 
They look at their revenue. They look at the expenses paid. And if their income ends up being more than the outflow of cash to make the income, then they're profitable. They base their profitability on the results that come in. Christianity is flipped. Christianity does not base profitability upon results. But rather, profitability is based on the starting point of what brings the results. It is not the ends justify the means. It is 100% about the means making the ends worth anything or not. And if what we do is not started by the motivator of selfless love, then it is as though we are nothing. D.L. Moody, I used this illustration when I first started preaching. I've never forgotten it. This stuck with me. D.L. Moody pastored a church, and a little boy would pass by several churches, and in route to passing the churches, he'd go to D.L. Moody's church. And he'd pass by these churches, and pastors would watch as this little poor boy would pass their churches and never stop. And finally, one pastor got a little bit upset about it, wondering why would the boy go by our church just to go down the road? He could just come here to church. And he asked the boy, why is it that you would pass by our church to go to D.L. Moody's church? And this is what the boy said. He said, you can tell they really love a fellow down there. That's what makes all the difference in this world. In the early 1900s, a man named Homer Cummings penned a hymn entitled To Count for Jesus. Not the song that was sung this morning, but another one. And the opening verse of the hymn said this, I want my life to count for Jesus as through the world I go. I long to be so true and faithful that others may his goodness know. I want my life to count for him in service every day. And all I do and all I say, I want my life to count for him. And tonight, if you're saved, and if I'm saved, our desire ought to be that our life would honestly count for Jesus. What I mean by that is I want to live a life that is worthy of the Lord. I want my life to make a difference for Him. I want my Christianity to be a profitable Christianity. The same thing is true for me. I desire that for your life. I desire that for our church, just like you desire it for our church and for my life as well, that we would be profitable to those that we cross paths with every single day, and that would be profitable to the work of God and the will of God in our generation. When something is profitable, it means it is beneficial or it is useful. So the opposite of something being profitable is something that is useless or something that has no value. Job wondered about his own profitability. He asked the question in Job 22, he said, Can a man be profitable unto God as he that is wise may be profitable unto himself? He is sitting there wondering whether or not his life is or can be beneficial to the work of God in his generation. Well, I'm glad Paul answers the question of Job. Paul penned a letter, and he wrote this letter to Philemon, and he talked about a man named Onesimus. And he mentions of Onesimus, he said, which in times past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. So it's obvious, it's not deniable, that somebody can be unprofitable, and also somebody can be profitable depending on what their life flows forth from. Jesus preached that in Luke 17. In that passage, he uses an illustration of servants, and he mentions a group of servants who simply did their duty without 
duty deriving from devotion. They just did what was expected. They just did what was the obligation. They didn't go beyond, and they didn't care to go beyond. They were just going to do it to the letter. And in verse 10 of that story, he said, So likewise, ye when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. They simply did things out of obligation because they were worried about the master, because they'd signed up to do the job, but it was not motivated by any kind of extensional effort of going beyond what's expected in that second mile, which can only be done out of love or charity. It's plain in the Bible. You can be profitable or you can be unprofitable, and it all depends on your starting point. If you study the Bible, you see profitability in the Christian life does not begin with service. Everybody listen. Profitability in the Christian life does not begin with standards. Profitability in the Christian life does not begin with works. Profitability in the Christian life does not begin with worship. Profitable activity does not necessarily equal profitable Christianity. Profitable habits do not always equal profitable Christianity. Profitable character traits do not always equal profitable Christianity. You see, in profitability, that word, like a lot of other areas of life, you cannot put the proverbial cart before the horse. There's a definite order that you and I have to adhere to if the outcome of the output of our life is to be profitable. The horse does not become, does not come rather before the cart. And the horse is not the same thing as the cart. They are totally different. And if you try to put the horse first and then the cart, then you've messed up the entire equation. The horse doesn't come before the cart. The horse is not the cart. And in fact, you can have a horse and never even get around to the cart. Christianity is not a pragmatic kind of a proposition. What's that mean? That means your results are not necessarily what please God. Oh my, everybody all right? I'm not trying to upset the fundamental apple cart or anything tonight, but your numbers and those tangible things and the extra, that is not necessarily, and I'm not against sitting, I'll preach for it in a minute, but that is not the starting point of what pleases God and makes our service to God profitable service to God. There's divine order, there is proper order, and it's a necessary order if we're going to profit or be profitable and not result in being nothing. To get this thing right, you've got to first take the cart and then hitch your horse up to the cart. There is no other alternative. That's just how it is. The starting point has to be the right starting point in the right place if you want whatever is produced from your life or mine to be pleasing to the Lord and profitable to other people. Our utmost concern as the children of God ought to be that our Christian life is profitable. Not profitable for self and not profitable uh, to our own agenda, but pleasing to the Savior and beneficial or of use to those that are around us. We shouldn't be content to just fill a padded pew. We shouldn't be content just to take up a line in the Lamb's Book of Life. We shouldn't be content to just sit around and wait for the rapture, wrapped up in self and barely spiritual, spiritual at all, but rather we had a hunger for more than to have a ticket to heaven punched and a distant relationship with God. We'd have more ambition, if you will, than just to exist and get through life as comfortably as possible. God did not save us to be savorless assault. God did not save us to be silent voices 
voices. God did not save us to be dimmed lights. God did not save us to sit on the sidelines and only concern ourselves with ourselves. We're not to be just tingling cymbals or brasses, making noise in the background, empty ritual and hollow activity, but we ought to be profitable. We had a desire a profitable Christianity. We had a desire a profitable prayer life. We had a desire a profitable Bible study life. We had a want a profitable witness life. We had a want a profitable ministry life. We had a want a profitable fellowship life. She sang it this morning. I want my life to count for Jesus because earthly things will quickly fade. And I fear either we've misunderstood it or we just have forgotten it. The starting point of profitable Christianity in this hour might not be what we think it is. Just to paint with a broad brush, I believe it's been forgotten in most Christian circles. Here's what I think it is. We look at our life and assess our profitability by our production. We count our hours, we number our steps, we count our days, our doors, the numbers or some tangible tell that makes us feel accomplished and we calculate the statistic or measure our own emotional fulfillment from whatever it is we're involved in and then if it pleases us or if we feel like we did something good, we just declare it as profitable. What I mean is if we see results, it must be profitable. If it satisfies our need, it must be profitable. If we appear to be holy while we do it, we must be profitable. If it gets an amen, it must be profitable. If there's some kind of growth, then it must be profitable. And I'm not preaching against that. But what that is, it is not the root. That is the fruit of profitability. And so often what we do is we number ourselves by the fruit, but we forget it starts with the root of the thing, the defining of profitability. It's totally dependent on getting the cart first and then hooking the horse to the cart. You've got to let the spirit assign profitability, not the flesh. I hope this isn't confusing. Maybe it is. And I'm not trying to ruffle feathers by what I'm saying. But I think we can fall into the trap and maybe we've even been conditioned to get trapped in the trap of thinking that if I just do my job, I'm profitable. If I'm serving in the ministry, then I'm profitable. If I'm faithful, I'm profitable. If I don't do whatever it is, then I'm profitable. If I do do whatever it is, then I'm profitable. But that is not what the Bible teaches. We are measuring ourselves by effect. But we ought to be measuring ourselves by cause. In our text chapter, Paul says it twice. At the end of verse 2, he says that I am nothing. At the end of verse 3, he says it again differently, but the same. He said it profited me nothing. That word nothing means I am empty, I'm hollow, I'm worthless, I have no profit. So it's very obvious that you can adhere to something or be actively involved in doing something, but just because you're doing it or adhere to it does not mean that it is profitable. With all that Paul was involved in, planting churches and winning souls, baptizing converts and writing scripture, he still said with all of those attributes on his spirit, resume at the end of the day that could be a big zero with the rim knocked off if he didn't start in the right place amen it might be a good thing done in a good way at a good place for a good purpose with good results but the profitability of it depends on where you started so this evening I want you to consider the prof the starting point of profitable Christianity your Bible is basically a blueprint for love the Bible defines what true love really is the Bible displays what love is. And the Bible then charges us with the duty to have it. 
Now, when I say love, I'm not talking about the sensual, carnal, you know, idea of love that the world promotes. I'm talking about this true agape or selfless love. You know, there's three types of love. I mentioned them earlier. There's that eros love. That is that love that is the uh, carnal, fleshly, fulfilling the desires of the flesh kind of love. That's the uh, cupid with his arrow kind of thing. They say life is one full thing after another. Love is two full things after each other. That's the kind of love that is. That eros love is kind of a selfish love because really what it's looking for is to gratify the need of itself, looking to fulfill itself. Then there's that phileo love. That phileo love is that brotherly Philadelphian love, and that's a little bit selfish and a little bit of others as well. But then there's the agape love, and that's the kind of love we're talking about in chapter 13, and that's a totally selfless, sacrificial love. In the New Testament, the word used for agape love is this word charity. Charity is more than an emotion. That's what the world thinks love is. Charity is more than a display. Charity is more than a feeling. Charity is action. Charity or agape love is not just something you feel. It is something that you do. It is not just something that you say, it is something that you show. It is not something about self, it is all about others. Charity does not seek its own, it always seeks to give. When I think of the word charity, I think of love poured out. I think about the woman who anointed the feet of Christ and then washed them with her hair. I think of Christ going around the table and taking those filthy feet of his disciples who he knew better than they knew themselves, though they full of sin and he without it. Stumped, stooped down, humbled himself, and washed their feet with a towel. All throughout the Bible, it's God's love letter to us. Look at this, 1 John 4, 8. Here, write down the reference if you want. It says, He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him is not perish, but of everlasting life. Jeremiah 3, 13, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I've loved thee with an everlasting love. Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Song of Solomon 2, 4, said, He brought me to the banqueting house, and His banner over me was love. Creation is the result of God's charity. The Bible is the result of God's charity. The only reason we have a hope of heaven tonight. It's the result of God's charity. When I think of charity or this selfless love, of course, the definition of charity, the display of charity is found in the cross of Calvary because greater love hath no man than this. That's that not eros or phileo, but that is agape love. Greater love hath no man than this than a man laid down his life for his friends. You say, why would God, who never sinned, knew no sin, never one time Jesus stepped out of the will of God, yet he took all of the pain and punishment and agony of Calvary. Why would he do that? Because he loved you and I. And that's the example as Jesus was hanging on the cross. It's as though he's saying, boys, here it is. This is Christianity right here. Christianity is not an attention or personal agenda or getting people to look at you. Christianity is totally emptying yourself for those others around you, whether they love you or not, whether they care for you or not, whether they've wronged you or not. This is charity. This is love poured out. He said, here's your example. Now you go and do it for somebody else. That's Christianity. John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. He didn't say they'll know you're my disciples by your soul winning. They won't know you're my disciples by your prayer life. They won't know you're my disciples by the clothes you wear. They won't know you're my disciples by your piety and your practices, your religion, or your rhetoric. They'll know it because you love each other. That's the starting point of all the rest of it. It's as though Christ called his followers to have charity because he showed them charity on the cross. He said, Christ-like love, and Christ-like love is this. It's selfless, sacrificial. It is agape love. I believe tonight that everything we do, if it does not start with charity, 
then it means it's nothing. 1 John 3, 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's why it was such a strong rebuke to that church in Ephesus in Revelation. Jesus looked at that church that was busy, laboring, but not loving. And the strongest, sharpest rebuke that the Lord could make against that church was this, you're not loving like you ought to love. They say, yeah, but look at this and look at that. What, look what we're involved in. Yeah, but, but your starting point is wrong. You used to do it, but you're not doing it now. You're busy, you're laboring, but you're not loving. Galatians 5.22 says the primary fruit of the Spirit is love. And all the other fruit of the Spirit, I believe, blossoms or grows out of that primary fruit, which is love. It's the precursor to the totality of the Christian life. It starts there. Christianity that is profitable to the work of God must begin with charity. Charity toward believers. Charity toward unbelievers. Charity is the fuel for every act of service in John 21. That's why Jesus looked at Peter and he said it to him several times. He said, Peter, I don't care about your preaching ability. I don't care how many uh, churches you plan to plant. None of that matters at this point. I just want to know, do you even love me? Because if you don't love me, then all the rest of this is not going to matter. He said, it starts with this, lovest thou me? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that Paul is addressing the air of arrogance and the culture of carnality in the Corinthian church. The Corinthians emphasize ministry over maturity. They emphasized giftedness over godliness. They emphasized activity over attitude. They emphasized spiritual work over a spiritual walk. They wanted the fruit, or rather the gifts of the Spirit, without the fruit of the Spirit. And the chapter reveals to us the preeminent need of charity in the Christian life. And it gives us the antithesis of what the Lord desires by showing us this church there in Corinth. In chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul literally says that they are ignorant. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. The very fact he said, I wish you weren't ignorant, tells me he thought they were because they were putting the cart b before the horse. They were forgetting about it. They just, everything's out of order. They're emphasizing these carnal, these fleshly things to draw attention to themselves. And Paul is saying, that's not where it's at. When I mention Corinth, see, you probably, if you know your Bible, think of carnality. Over and over again, it's known as the carnal church. They're known around their area. They're known around the region that gets out and leaks over to the Paul that this church had problems four times in chapter 3. He says, you're carnal, you're carnal, you're carnal, you're carnal. They start off with personality conflicts because they'll have their favorite preacher. I think Paul's the best. I think Peter's the best. I think Jesus is the super spiritual one. I think Jesus is the best, you know. And they divided over it. Then they were envious of one another. Then they sued one another. They were covering up sin. A man was committing adultery with his own mother or mother or stepmother. And they weren't dealing with it because they're so full of pride. They'd rather protect their reputation than deal with sin and get it right. And all of these things in that church led to their carnality because they were spiritually immature. And it shines through in the way that they were so covetous and arrogant when it came to spiritual gifts or the gifts of the Spirit. So throughout chapter 12, Paul's addressing their misconception of spiritual superiority and the misuse of spiritual gifts in that church. It's amazing, I'll say it again, how the most carnal crowd that Paul preached to wanted to parade around as though they were super Super spiritual. Carnality always flaunts itself. It might dance in the dress of piety or march in the uniform of spirituality, but it's obviously not what it is. Carnality is self-aggrandizing. Carnality is self-absorbed. Carnality is self-gratifying. Charity is on the far right side of the spectrum. 
Carnality is on the far left side of the spectrum. I was just saying, before the completion of your New Testament, there were certain of these gifts that would accompany the ministry of these apostles. And much of it would validate their ministry to the Jewish people who required a sign. And then you also find out that in the early church with the completion of the New Testament, some of these prophecies and things were given so they would understand some of the truths of God before the completion of the New Testament. Those gifts were being pl uh, given a premium placed on them by these people in the Corinthian church. Their carnality made them jealous over these interim sign gifts. And here's why, because it would bring attention to themselves. Their motivator was all self. Their starting point was carnality. And because the starting point was wrong, everything else was at risk of being totally without profit. When Paul closes chapter 12, he says, hey, listen, covet those best gifts. He said, but I'm going to tell you something. There's a better way than the way you're doing this thing. There's a more excellent way than chapter number 12 fighting over whether you're the eye or over your, whether you're the toe or whether you're the finger or the arm in the local church. There's a better way that will make you more profitable unto the Lord. And he hits at the root of their misunderstanding. They're wrapped up in speaking in tongues. They're jealous over wanting to prophesy. They want to be able to do miracles. They want to have the preeminence within the body. They say, I don't want to be an eye. I want to be an ear. I don't want to be an ear. I want to be a finger. I don't want to be the foot. I want to be the head. And they were fighting over getting all the attention in the church. So Paul recenters them and said, wait a minute, you're missing it. I don't care if you can preach like an angel. I don't care if you can sing with the greatest voice in the world. I don't care if you give more money to anybody else. I don't care if you can pray in mountains or move. If you don't start what you're doing from loving other people and loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and might. He said, then everything you do is worthless. You can spend nine hours a day knocking doors, but if it's so you can say, I spent nine hours a day knocking doors, you wasted nine hours. You can give a million dollars and help us build a building, but if you just give it so that you can tell people you gave it, you've just wasted your million dollars in a way. It'll help us, but it won't help you a bit. If you pray all night just so you can tweet, I just got done praying all night, then you have your reward. But if the motivator for your soul winning and your giving and your praying and your serving God starts with charity. Look at what it says in chapter 13. Now, let's go through it quickly and just close. Here's what it says. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. This is the profitability of charity. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. If you look at the context of that, they would play these symbols in the marketplace. Like you have elevator music, you know, in the hotel or the airport. The weirdest art is in the airport and the worst music is in the airport. I mean, it sounds it's like, uh, I was going to say like, like uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Kenny G or whatever, you know, MoFi or whoever it is. But anyway, it's just, it's just horrible. Uh, and he's better than that. But anyway, bad stuff. It's just background music, just filler noise. In the marketplace, they'd bang those symbols just for background noise. Also, they'd bang those symbols and that brass in those pagan temples. It's a representation of hollow ritual and just filler. He said, I tell you what you are. He said, I don't care if you can speak Spanish, Swahili. You can be a religious Rosetta Stone for all I care. But if you don't love people, he said, you might as well be at a pagan temple worshiping. Or just part of the background noise in the marketplace because it's a waste of time. Verse number two, he said, and though I have the gift of prophecy 
That's foretelling things. You, he said, maybe, maybe you can get up there and you can give an eloquent sermon. I mean, you can just preach with the best of them. You can be an orator of orators, a pulpiteer, whatever that is. And you can get up there and preach and understand all mysteries, get insight other people don't have. You can have all knowledge, understanding the truths of God. He said, you can have all those things. And I mean, people can look at you and ooh and awe and think how astute he is. What kind of degree does he have? He said, but if you're doing that, just so you can show off your intellect and it's not started from the starting point of agape love, selfless love. He said, you might as well just sit down. It's a waste of your time. And then he goes on and says this, what, what, whatever this, he said, I could have all faith. Now listen, Paul is a big proponent of faith. You ever read the book of Romans? Paul gave us a discourse, a doctrinal dissertation on faith, 16 chapters long in the book of Romans. So Paul is not anti-faith, but here's what Paul said. Paul said, I could possess all faith. I'm talking about I could have such faith that Peter took a step and a half on the water. He said, man, I could run a 100-yard dash on the water. I mean, I could, I could stay, sit there in the den of lions and like Daniel did. I could go through the fiery furnace like the Hebrew children. I could say to a mountain, be thou removed, and it be removed like Jesus, according to New T uh, early in the Gospels. He said, I could have all faith, but if my faith is not anchored in love, then it might as well be unbelief. He goes on. He doesn't stop there. He says, watch this. He said in verse, uh, uh, verse number 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. That's the world's idea of charity. That's goodwill. That's salvation army. But you know, you can give to charity without being charitable. I got to give to charity because I need a tax write off. Oh my, here we go. Look what it says. It says but he goes, now he's, now he's being a little bit uh, 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 facetious. He said, or I can give my body to be burned. They weren't burning Christians at this time. But Paul is just saying, hypothetically. Now, eventually, Nero, they would. But Paul said, what if I just gave my body to be a martyr? I march up to the stake, say, nail me to the cross, tie me to the stake, throw me in the river. Bless God, I'm going to die for my faith. But you do it out of an attitude of pride and arrogance, bravado. Hello, testosterone-fueled and not spirit-filled. He said, you're nothing. What's he saying? He said, you can have a full head but an empty heart and you're nothing. A full pocketbook and an empty heart and you're nothing. A full calendar of events, but an empty heart, he said, you're nothing. You could have a full surrender, but an empty heart, and you're nothing. It must start with charity. Spiritual gifts that are utilized in the vacuum of lovelessness are worthless. But worse than that, they could be reckless. Number one, charity's profitability. Number two, watch this, charity's personality. Let's just read through it. it says, Here's, here it is. Verse number four begins. Here's, if you do have charity, this will be the attributes of your life. Charity is not vengeful. Amen. Charity is not angry. Charity does not act victimized or owed or self-consumed. Charity is not a brawler or prideful or easily offended. And by the way, this is written because he wants them to have this in the church. Charity here, it is suffereth long. You know what that means? It puts up with people. Next, charity envieth not. Charity doesn't look at what somebody else has and said, I ought to be the one who has that. They don't deserve that. I deserve that. I tell you what would be good if we understood that we're all on Team Jesus together. And if God blesses somebody else, you got blessed in the process. Amen? If they got something you don't have, it's because God knows you couldn't handle what they got. So just calm down. Take it easy. Charity envieth not. What about this? Charity vaunteth not itself. Charity doesn't walk in making sure everybody sees it. You ever notice somebody who walks in a room wanting to make sure everybody sees them? It's so obvious. Their head's like on a swivel. You know what I like to do with people like that is purposely not pay attention to them. Because it drives, them, it drives them crazy. I love that. If you're all about others, you're not going to be all about yourself. That kind of goes without saying, right? So if you say, well, I'm full of love. Look at me. I'm so full of love. That's not full of love. 
Charity vaunteth not itself. Now look what else it says. Not only does charity not vaunt itself, it's not puffed up. Not only is it not saying, look at me, now it's not saying that I'm everything. It means I'm not full of pride. I wonder how much of what we do is full of pride. I want to do this. I want to build that. I want to reach them or whatever it is. But it's so that we can tell somebody that we did this. That's not charity. It's just not charity. Now let's keep looking. It says, do not behave itself unseemly. That means somebody with this agape love, they behave themselves like a Christian. Seeketh not her own. It's not a personal agenda. It's not easily provoked. Brother Bertram mentioned the word provoked. Here it's used in the negative context. It means you're not easily offended to the point where you blow up on somebody. Just explode on somebody. Just give them a piece of your mind. Billy Sunday said, a bad temper is like a shotgun. It takes a second to pull the trigger, but it blows everything up in its pathway. Charity doesn't do that. Next, charity thinketh no evil. Charity doesn't look at people and say, man, I bet you they're up to something. I bet you they're involved in something. I'd watch out for that person. They don't think bad of people. Charity doesn't think bad of people. It thinks the best of people. Keep on going through. Look what it says. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. What's that mean? When somebody else messes up, you don't get all over the internet and say, hey, guess what so-and-so did? That's just what the Bible says. Or on the phone or a letter or carrier pigeons or however you communicate. But we're not happy about the fact that somebody else fell into sin. Charity rejoices in the truth. Verse 7, charity beareth all things. It's endurance. It believeth all things. That means it believes the best about people. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Now watch this last point. Charity's persevering priority. Charity never faileth. What is he teaching us here? He is teaching us here in the context of the chapters. Verse, chapter 12 and chapter 14 both deal with the gifts. Chapter 13 is like the cream and the Oreo that holds it together. It's love. He's teaching us that a lot of these things that you're caught up in aren't going to matter in eternity because they're not going to last he said, hey, listen, the tongues that you wish you had, you wish you could speak German or French or whatever it is, Acts chapter 2, one of those languages, you wish you could do that, that's not even going to be around forever. Because one of these days you're going to get the book of Revelation, John on the Isle of Patman, he's going to put the period on that thing, it's going to be over with. No more of those sign gifts. Those miracles you're talking about, those miracles are going to cease. And I'm sorry I just ruined the ministry of every tele televangelist in the world, but... Uh, you can send your money to, no, you can't, but you, should, you shouldn't anyway. Every time they get sick, they go to the hospital. I never understood that. Every time they die, they stay, in the, they stay dead. I never understood that. Why not res resurrect or something like that? heard about this one woman, and this is true. She was one of those faith healers and miracle worker. And she would, if you would write her a letter, she would read the contents of your letter over the radio without opening the envelope. I guarantee you this, if you'll send me a letter, I can read it to you over the radio without opening the envelope, I promise, amen? That's the dumbest thing, how would you even know? But anyway, these other things are going to cease, but he said, charity never faileth. Charity's never going to fall, charity's going to last forever, and that's the context of these last verses. It says prophecies, they'll fail, the tongues are going to cease, knowledge is going to vanish away. For now, he said, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, when we get our scripture, the Bible, then that which is in part shall be done away, we won't need this. Maturity is marked by charity. He said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, understood as a child, and it goes on. He said, but now I put away these childish things. He said, now I'm looking through a glass darkly. He said, we don't see it all as it's going to be. He said, but one of these days, we're going to understand it all. We'll have our Bible, and here's what matters in verse 13. Now abideth. If you want to abide, here is faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest is charity. Here's why. Because one day faith gives way to sight. One day hope is fulfilled because we're looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When He comes, hope is gone. We don't need it. 
But for eternity, the Christian lives on in love because God is love. We'll spend forever with Him. Our want service, I mean, we have to be a working church, no doubt about it. But if we don't work from the right starting point, it might accomplish some temporal things, but it's not laying up heavenly treasure. It's not what you do, it is why you do it. And when that little boy looked at me and said, I guess you're here because you love it, that's a convicting thing to think about. Are you doing what you do from the motivator, the starting point of charity? Because if not, I am nothing. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.